Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash GreatDetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And I do also want to encourage you to check out our other podcasts. In particular, I'm highlighting Public Domain Video Theater, which returns from hiatus this month. We will be continuing to play episodes of Dangerous Assignment and also a U.S. Marshal for the next few months. So uh, you can check that out, videotheater.greatdetectives.net. It's also over on our YouTube channel, youtube.greatdetectives.net. Now let's get into this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial. Now, as usual, I will be doing episodes one and two today. And if you want to listen to the complete serial together, then pause the podcast now. And then on Friday, we'll be posting episodes 3, 4, and 5. But here now, from August 13th and 14th, 1956, are episodes 1 and 2 of The Crystal-Like Manor. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Tom Wilkins of Amalgamated Life, Johnny. Oh, hi, Tom. What's up? Well, at the moment, 50000 bucks worth of life insurance. Oh? Yeah, we got a policy for that amount in the life of one Edward Russell. Russell? Never heard of him. That's just the trouble, Johnny. Right now, nobody else has either. Three days ago, his wife, Leona, over in Denver, filed a missing persons report. She the beneficiary? Right. So what do you want from me? <laughs> Find out what happened to him. Well, how do you know anything did? Maybe he just walked out on his wife. Now, from what I can gather, Russell was a hothead. Could be he had one argument too many. Uh, it still could be just a guy getting away for a while. Huh? And why would he abandon his car in his storage garage in Colorado Springs? Oh. Yeah. It turned up this morning with part of his luggage in it. Interested? I'm on my way. <laughs> Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Amalgamated Life Associates Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an accounting of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Crystal Lake matter. Expense account item one, $120.50, plane fare and incidentals to Denver. Tom Wilkins hadn't given me much to go on, so I figured the logical place to start was with the missing man's wife, Leona Russell. Their house was in a moderately prosperous suburb of Denver, a white ranch house with a shake roof. Everything looked neat and well-kept. But somehow, a forlorn feeling came through to me about the place. Then the door opened. And right away, I was sure something pretty bad had happened to Edward Russell. You don't just walk out on a wife who looked like that. Yes. Mrs. Leona Russell? Yes. I'm Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. Oh, yes, Mr. Dollar. Mr. Wilkins sent a telegram about you. Won't you come in? Thanks. Hmm, cooler in here. I try to keep the house shut up during the day. It helps. 
Please sit down. Oh, thank you. I've already told the police what little there was to tell when I filed the... the missing persons report. Oh, sure. This is just a routine investigation, Mrs. Russell. You probably don't feel too much like talking about it, but if you wouldn't mind going over what information there is again... Well, it was just a week ago that Ed, Mr. Russell, left. You were here when he left? Yes. He told me he was driving up to Boulder on business, that he'd only be gone overnight. Uh, What sort of business is he in? He's in real estate. Boulder, huh? But his car was found in Colorado Springs. I know. I can't explain that. When he didn't come home on time, I got worried. I'd call the hotel in Boulder. He never checked in there. Yes, I see. Did he know anyone in Colorado Springs? Just business contacts, as far as I know. He might have decided to go there instead of Boulder, but he would have called me. But he didn't? No. I I haven't heard a thing from him since he drove away from here a week ago. Mrs. Russell, do you happen to know if your husband had any, well, enemies? No. Ed was pretty impulsive. You might even say hot-headed. But I just can't believe that anyone would hate him enough to to do anything to him. Well, we don't know that anyone has. I know. <laughs> Funny, the things that run through your mind at a time like this. Uh-huh. What sort of things? <laughs> it sounds funny, but I've almost been wishing it was in an accident or something like that. In a hospital where he might not have a chance to call me, but at least was safe and alive. You've checked the hospitals? All of them. I did that before I filed the missing persons report. Tell me, had your husband been unusually depressed before he left? If you're suggesting that Ed did away with himself, that's just not possible, Mr. Dollar. That's one thing he'd never do. He, he just wasn't built that way. Mm-hmm. Everything was uh, fine between you two. Yes. Of course, we had disagreements, arguments in the six years we've been married. Who hasn't? But nothing serious. I, I guess I'm, I'm not being very helpful to you, Mr. Dollar. Well, I'm sure that's not your fault. You've no idea at all where he could be then or what could have happened. No, none at all. Except... Except what? Well, I don't know if it means anything or not, but I, uh, I found this under some of Bill's papers on his desk just this morning. Travel folder. Crystal Lake. Where's that? It's a resort up in the mountains. As I say, I I don't know whether it means anything or not. Has he ever been there before? Not that I know of. Or mention it to you? No, I don't... I'm sure he hasn't. Well, I'll check it out. Thanks, Mrs. Russell. Oh, just one more thing. Yes? You're the beneficiary of his life insurance policy? Yes. I know what you're thinking, Mr. Dollar. I'm not thinking anything. I'm just asking questions. It's my job. I know. But let me ask you a question, Mr. Dollar. Do you think $50,000 or any amount of money could possibly make up for... for Ed? One thing about my job, you have to ask such nice questions sometimes. After Leona Russell's answer, there didn't seem to be much left to say, so I told her I'd let her know if I found out anything and I left. I looked at the travel folder again. Crystal Lake. Pretty slim lead. But when you have nothing to go on, anything at all looks promising. Expense account item two, $45.20. I rented a car and drove to Crystal Lake. 
was a beautiful spot. 7,000 feet high, clean, thin air, fragrant pines, and the clearest water this side of the Jackson Hole country. I parked a moment and looked out over the lake. Oh, great place to drop a hook. But I had a strong hunch that the fishing I'd be doing was of a little different variety. One thing was obvious, there was a lot of money up here. Most of the cabins would be in cellar to be called cabins and had their own boat landings. The village was nestled at one end of the lake, a colorful collection of Swiss chalets. I headed for the office of the local law, a deputy sheriff named Ansel Garrett. Tall, thin, raw-boned lad in his early 30s who looked like he'd spent all but the first few hours of his life in the open. Clear, keen eyes that showed he had his wits about him. Have a seat, Dollar. Thanks. Uh, Edward Russell, you said. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Disappeared about a week ago. Left home in Denver. Hasn't been heard from since. So? So he could have come here. His wife found a travel folder about Crystal Lake in his papers. That's supposed to prove something? No, it doesn't prove anything, Ants, but it's my only lead. Here, take a look at this picture. Hmm. You recognize him? Yeah, looks sort of familiar. You've seen him up here at Crystal Lake? Yeah, I think so. Four or five days ago. Well, what do you know? Looks like my luck's changing. I hit the jackpot on my first nickel. Well, it depends on what jackpot you're talking about, Johnny. What do you mean? Well, for one thing, I could be wrong about the identification. <laughs> I guess you haven't been wrong about many of them in your time. Uh, I suppose he was the guy, so what? Why are you looking for him, anyway? Mainly to find out if he's still alive. <laughs> what makes you think he's not? Nothing definite, but a hunch that's getting stronger by the minute. Oh? Insurance investigators are operating on hunches these days, huh? Once in a while. Just like deputy sheriff's hands. Yeah, all right. So hunches sometimes do pan out. But you could be way out in the pasture, Johnny. Maybe the guy just had an argument with his wife and he walked out on Oh, her. sure, yeah, I thought of that. But then I saw his wife. Nobody in his right mind would walk out on her. Mm, like that, huh? Like that. Look, Ants, can you give me any dope on this guy? No, not much. He came to see me about five days ago. Why? Mainly to ask me a silly question. Silly? Yeah. He asked me if there was a guy named Bill around Crystal Lake somewhere. Oh, I take it there's more than one. A you know, fistful, Johnny. Bill Cullen, who tends bar at the hotel. Bill Jensen, who runs the boathouse. Bill Pickens, who clerks at the hardware. Yeah, okay, Bi okay, I get the idea. I take it Russell didn't know which Bill he wanted, huh? Nope. Well, at least I know he was here at Crystal Lake now. You, uh, you haven't seen him since, huh? You know, just once. Oh? That same night. He was in the bar at the hotel talking to Betty Norton. Who's she? Heiress to the Norton estate. Mining. She's got a big place on the other side of the lake near Lookout Point. Know anything about her? Phew, all I want to. Oh. She travels at a pretty good clip. Oh, I see. Well, thanks for the information, Ace. You know, what are you going to do now? Try to find Edward Russell. Alive or otherwise. That uh, hunch of yours still operating? It hasn't gotten any weaker. Oh, uh, just one thing, Johnny. Mm. This is a pretty high-grade resort here. Things are nice and peaceful. I, uh, I like to keep it that way. Sure. So, so don't go off half-cocked, huh? For instance? For instance, don't start accusing anybody of murder unless or until you find a body. <laughs> and if I do find a body? Oh, then looks like we'll have to start doing a little accusing. I left Ansel Garrett's office and walked around the village. All I knew so far was that Edward Russell, or somebody who looked like him, had been in Crystal Lake several days ago, inquiring about a man named Bill, and that he'd been at the bar with a dough-heavy girl named Betty Norton. There were a flock of Bills in town, but there was only one Betty Norton, so I decided to start with her. 
I drove around the lake to her home, an elaborate lodge-type place that sprawled along the shore. Betty was down on her boat dock in a bathing suit, and she was a pretty elaborate-looking job herself. I was just going for a swim. Come on, join me. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Norton. I'm not equipped at the moment. Oh, there's some trunks in the dressing room. Yeah, well, look, I'd like to talk to you about something, But so... I don't feel like talking right now. I feel like swimming. But this is important. It's about... So is swimming. If you want to talk to me, you've got to go swimming first. <sighs> okay, we'll play it your way. That's the only way I ever play it, Mr. Dollar. So we went swimming. And I swam hard. But mainly to keep from freezing to death. The water should have been in cubes by the feel of it. But Betty seemed to think it was normal. After a while, we climbed back onto the landing. Wonderful, huh? Ooh. Here's a towel. Oh, it's great, sure. Only about 20 degrees too cold. <laughs> Makes the sun feel better. Yeah. Hot and cold, Johnny. Contrast. Hmm. That's what puts the charge in life. Is it? I wouldn't know. Hey, look. Do you mind now if I ask you a couple of questions? Go ahead. You know a man named Edward Russell? I don't think so. I think you do. You had a drink with him at the hotel several nights ago. So this I do once in a while. Am I supposed to remember all of them? This one might have mentioned he was looking for a guy named Bill. Well, I remember now. He thought the bartender might be the one he was looking for, Bill Collins. So what happened? How should I know? I left. You haven't seen Russell since? Nope. Haven't missed him either. Oh, great. And for this kind of information, I practically freeze to death in the ice trough you laughingly call a lake. <laughs> Maybe your trip wasn't a waste of time after all, Johnny. Oh. We met. Well, uh... What do you do with your spare time? <laughs> well, A, I don't expect to have much, and B, isn't that sort of a leading question? Mm, I'm pretty good at leading. You must have trouble finding guys to dance with, huh? Why don't you try it sometime? Huh? left on that, feeling like a fly who spotted the web at the last moment. And right now, I was feeling just about as useless as a fly, too. I wasn't getting even close to locating Edward Russell. I went back to my room and the phone was ringing. Johnny Dollar. Hey, it's Garrett, Johnny, Sheriff's Office. You can quit looking for Edward Russell. We found him. Well, that's good news. Is it? He's dead. What? Yeah, been dead for three or four days. Where'd you find him? In a cabin on the other side of the lake. Your hunch was good. And expensive. What do you mean? It'll cost the company I represent a cool $50,000. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Amalgamated Life Associates, Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Crystal Lake matter. Expense account continued. Item three, $2.55. Telegram to Tom Wilkins of Amalgamated Life Associates, notifying him of Edward Russell's murder. I was reasonably sure the telegram wouldn't make Tom sleep any easier. I headed for the office of Ansel Garrett, deputy sheriff in charge of the Crystal Lake substation. Sit down. Not good, huh, Johnny? No, not good. Not good at all. Who found the body, Ants? A fellow named Bixby's waiting next door. I figured you'd want to talk to him. Thanks, I do. First, though, I'd uh, I'd like you to run over what you know about this deal again for me. I want to know just where we stand in it. People at this resort pay a lot of money for peace and quiet. I don't want to disturb it any more than I can help. Good luck. The meaning? 
Meaning if you know where you stand in this deal, you're a lot better off than I am, and I've got a strong hunch a lot of peace and quiet's going to get disturbed before it's wound up. I don't like your hunches, Johnny. You got a way of proving out. <laughs> like the one about Russell being dead. I suppose you give me the rundown. Okay, okay. And I can make it short because there's not much to tell. The company I represent holds a $50,000 policy on Russell. About a week ago, he disappeared. His wife filed a missing persons report? Yeah, Leona Russell over in Denver. Mm. She said her husband had told her he was going on an overnight business trip to Boulder. He never came back. His car was found in a garage in Colorado Springs. His wife couldn't account for it? No. She said she was completely in the dark. I take it she's his beneficiary. Oh, yeah, sure. I thought of that, too. I asked her about it. What kind of an answer did you get? Tears, mostly, and a pretty withering look. Either she's completely clean or she's one of the best actresses I've ever seen. The rest of the story you told me. How Russell came into your offices several days ago looking for a guy named Bill, last name and description unknown. You know, like I said, there's a flock of Bills in this neck of the woods. Yeah, no. The bartender, the man who runs the boathouse, a clerk in the hardware store, a few assorted others. Mm. I uh, told you I saw Russell having a drink with Betty Norton the same night he came to see me. You check her out? Yeah, yeah. I had to go swimming with her in that sub-zero lake before she'd answer any questions, though. And then what I got from her was nothing. She said she'd met Russell at the hotel, had a drink with him, then left. That's all you've got, huh? That's it. Well, that's precious little to go on. I'll let you talk to Mr. Bixby. Oh, uh, Mr. Bixby, would you step in here, please? This is Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. Mr. Clarence Bixby. Hi. How are you? Not too good at the moment. <laughs> you got troubles. It was my cabin the body was in. Oh, a padlock had been changed, Johnny. Here it is. No fingerprints other than Bixby's. I monkeyed with it for a while until I realized my key wouldn't fit, and then I pried it open with a big screwdriver. Mr. Bixby, would you mind showing me your cabin and just what happened? I guess not. Doesn't matter much now, anyway. What do you mean? Well, I was going to show the cabin to a guy when we found the body. He wanted to buy the place. But who'd want to buy it now? Bixby and I drove halfway around the lake. His cabin was a couple of hundred feet from the edge and had a good view of the water. Well, nice spot here, Bixby. It was. You used the cabin much? Eh, I haven't been able to regularly for the last couple of years. So I got to figuring why I keep on paying for taxes and upkeep on it. So I decided to sell it. Did you advertise it in the papers? I did. First crack out of the box, I got a hot prospect. He's the one you brought up here to show the cabin to. Huh? That's right. His name's Putnam. Putnam. I'd like to talk to him. Yeah, he's staying at the hotel. Probably looking for another cabin to buy. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. Well, let's see. This is where the padlock was, huh? That was the first thing I noticed, that the padlock had been changed. The one I had on there was better. Whoever did it probably pried the first one off. Yeah, right here is where I, I pried off the lock this morning. Mm -hmm. Then what? And I opened the door. The body was on the floor right over here. Bullet hole in the forehead. I see. Putnam turned green, and I... Well, not, not a very pretty sight to find in your own cabin. No. Well, let's go sit outside. The dead man, Edward Russell. Did you happen to know him, Bixby? No. Never set eyes on him before. Why did they have to pick my cabin? <laughs> That's a good question. Hey, that cabin about 100 yards away, who lives there? 
Oh, that one? Owned by the Butler family. They spend their summers up here. Oh, maybe they saw or heard something. No, Deputy Sheriff questioned them. They arrived here three days ago. He figured that was the morning after the killing. I see. Have a cigar? No, no thanks. What does it add up to, Dollar? Well, at the moment, Mr. Bixby, not much. I sat there and watched Bixby tie his cellophane cigar wrapper into a neat little knot. And I realized that was exactly my situation at the moment. The whole deal was a knot, and I didn't know how to untie it. I went back to the hotel. Item four, an expense account, $1.75. Telephone call to the dead man's wife, Leona Russell, over in Denver. It was very considerate of you to telephone, Mr. Dollar. The authorities notified me of what happened... They want me to come up there and confirm the identification. I see. You don't think it could be somebody else? Mm, I'm sorry, Mrs. Russell. I'm afraid not. I guess I'd really given up hoping. All the time I was trying to tell myself he was alive, but... Um, Yes, yes. Um, Look, Mrs. Russell, have you ever heard of a man named Clarence Bixby? Bixby? No. Your husband was found in Bixby's cabin... Did you ever hear him mention the name? No. Okay. Thanks anyway. I'll keep in touch. I hung up and sat there a moment, thinking her over. She stood to benefit to the tune of $50,000 by her husband's death. She seemed on the up and up, and yet... Expense account item five, another call to Denver, to the police department. I wanted them to check, check on her, but I found out that they and Ansel Garrett working together were a couple of jumps ahead of me. They'd already checked on Leona and established the fact that at the time of her husband's murder here at Crystal Lake, she'd been in Denver. I decided to look up Putnam, the man who'd wanted to buy Russell's cabin. I found him in the bar at the hotel. Yes, I tell you, it was quite a shock, Mr. Dollar. When Bixby opened his cabin door, a body sprawled there in front of us. It... <sighs> yes, sir, quite a shock. Yeah. How come you decided to buy Bixby's cabin, Mr. Putnam? Well, my wife and I had been on the lookout for a cabin for some time. When I saw Bixby's ad in the paper, it sounded like just the sort of place I was looking for. I see. So I answered the ad, made the arrangements with Bixby to come up here and have him show me the place. Mm-hmm. You still interested in buying a cabin up here? Well, possibly. I've always wanted a place where I can come for rest now and then, but after what's happened, I don't think I'd be too happy in Bixby's place. Mr. Putnam, the dead man's name was Edward Russell. Did, uh, did you happen to know him? Of course not. Why? Ever hear of him before? See here, Mr. Dollar, what is your reason for asking questions like that? Surely you don't think I'm involved in any of this? No, routine, Mr. Putnam. Well, I don't care for the routine, Mr. Dollar. Well, look, I would... Skip it. See you later, Putnam. What pulled me into action was a glimpse I caught of the bartender. I started remembering a few things. Number one, Edward Russell had been looking for a guy named Bill. Number two, the bartender was one of several guys by that name here at Crystal Lake. Number three, something I saw on the bartender's face made me think he could be the bill that Russell had been looking for. I left Putnam's table and slid onto a stool at the bar. Hi. Hi. What'll it be? Is, uh, is that I.W. Harper there? Yeah. And soda, please. Coming up. Sort of quiet this evening, huh? Yeah, yeah. Been a little slack this season so far. I imagine it'll pick up later on this summer. Yeah. Thanks. Must have been quite a fight. Come again? You're wearing what looks like the tail end of a black eye. Oh, yeah, that. No, I've I've been down to pick up a bottle of mix the other day, and I bumped my face on the corner of the bar. 
You're uh, sure that's the way it happened, huh? What are you getting at, pal? Better take a look at my card. Insurance investigator? Yeah. A guy named Edward Russell was in here a few nights ago with Betty Norton. He was looking for someone named Bill. By some strange coincidence, your name is Bill. And by an even stranger coincidence, you've got a black eye. Okay, Dollar. So Russell did give me the black eye. I traded him a split lip for it. What happened? I still haven't figured it out. He was in here drinking. He started talking to Miss Norton. She called me by my first name, and suddenly this Russell heats up. He comes up to me and starts asking me a bunch of questions. What kind of questions? Well, mainly had I ever lived in Denver. I told him no, but he didn't seem to believe me. Got pretty insulting, and we ended up outside. He pasted me first, and I let him have one. Then I spotted the hotel manager and broke it off. They left right after that. Well, why the cover-up about hitting your face on the bar? Are you kidding? Look, how long do you think a bartender would last in a hotel like this if the management knew he got in a fight with a customer? Particularly if the customer winds up dead, huh? Yeah, I heard about the killing this afternoon. Tough, but I must say that guy was asking for trouble. I don't know what was eating him, but something sure was. You didn't see him after that night? No. Check on me if you want. Oh, don't worry, I will. I... Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter? You said something a minute ago that just rang a bell. You said they left together after the fight. Who's they? Russell and Miss Norton. You sure about that? You sure she was with him when he left? Sure, I'm sure. You don't miss any tricks about a guy like that. He... Hey, look. If she told you different, I don't want to get nobody in trouble. That's where you and I differ, Bill. There's one person I want to get in trouble real bad. Who? The person who killed Russell. And right now, Betty Norton looked like an interesting possibility. I went outside and started walking along the lakeshore in the moonlight, thinking about it. She told me she'd left alone after one drink with Russell. But according to the bartender, she'd lied. She and Russell had left together. The motive stumped me, though. As far as I could figure, Leona Russell was the only one who could profit by her husband's death. Yet she didn't kill him. But Betty Norton, the girl who always had to play everything her way... I decided to have another talk with her and turned to go back to the hotel, and I stopped. Out of the corner of my eye, I'd seen a movement near a tree on the slope above me. A shadow where there shouldn't have been a shadow. I scrambled up the slope. There was nobody in sight. So somebody was keeping an eye on me. Somebody who knew this area pretty well. A nasty thought started pecking away at me. To wit, in getting closer to Russell's killer, I might be getting closer to something else, too. A bullet. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow... A girl who lied and a padlock that didn't. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Robert Reif, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. This is another story where I don't honestly remember the solution from last time, so I'm taking down potential clues. I'm not going to say too much about them because I don't want to have my subconscious memory of the previous episode lead to me spoiling the conclusion. I will also say that I'm aware that Crystal Lake was the name of a location in the Friday the 13th films. But as I've never seen those, just make up your own joke or line about that. Because that's a bit beyond me. <laughs> I did appreciate the way that they made the part one cliffhanger the part two opening. Now, I, I've not always enjoyed that in the past, but I didn't mind this time because they actually did a good job making them match up and making it so it wasn't like uh, the sheriff's deputy called back uh, a second time or something like that. It flowed rather naturally. One thing I found fascinating about this episode is the more things change, the more they remain the same. If a guy like Edward Russell were to disappear today and couldn't be tracked by our modern methods such as a cell phone or credit card, and the only clue was a travel folder for a resort town, the detective would drive up just like Johnny. He might have had his initial talk with the sheriff's office over the phone and emailed a picture, but even if the deputy hadn't seen Russell, that would not have been the final word. Johnny would have had to come down in person to ask a lot of people. Uh, you know, while technology may cut down on the need for legwork, it certainly hasn't eliminated it entirely. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we start with an email from Miranda. Miranda writes, Hi, Adam. First, just want to say that I love the podcast. I grew up listening to the old-time radio shows on Sirius XM with my family. My favorite was always Dragnet, but I also love Johnny Dollar and Boston Blackie. Hint, hint. Now, I drive a ton for work, so it's great having the podcast to listen to. I look forward to my Dragnet Day and my Johnny Dollar Days every week. Thank you for reviving these old detective shows. I also wanted to comment on the Nick Shurn matter. I grew up and live in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which is where I chose to think Bramberry is, mostly because of the references to the logging camps in the snow and because we tend to get overlooked in entertainment. The writing of that serial was phenomenal, and the setting was on point. I was driving through some snow early in the morning while listening to the part where Johnny meets Benny Stark in the blizzard, and when Benny came up out of the darkness to confront Johnny, I jumped. I liked the part where Mike O'Dare asked Johnny why Benny would go into town, since staying in the woods would be safer because I was wondering the same thing. There's also a moment where they reference Chippewa Canyon, kind of a throwaway line, but although I've never heard of a canyon by that name, there are Chippewa counties and Chippewa River up here in the Upper Peninsula. So I'm wondering if that's where they got it. All that is to say that I guess things haven't changed much here in rural Michigan since the 50s, especially the opinions and personalities of us locals, and that the writers of the show did a great job making the shows accurate and the characters believable. Merry Christmas, and thanks again for bringing us the detectives of old-time radio. 
Well, thank you so much, Miranda. Really appreciated your email. And it's the type of email that can really only come from someone who happened to live in that area. And it's a fascinating insight. And really, when it comes to these sort of small-town portrayals, there are essentially two different sorts of fictional small towns. The first is almost completely fictitious. It's imagined based on media portrayals, based on the author's prejudices and preconceived notions, rather than an actual place. I mean, there are writers whose portrayal of what a small town is wouldn't change a whole lot whether the location was supposed to be up in Vermont or over in eastern Montana. Even those those are very different fields of towns. And then there are those that try to capture and tie into real places, capture that sort of authentic culture and authentic feel. And if the writer is good at crafting a story, you're not going to know the difference unless you're from that specific region. So getting an email from someone who comes from that upper peninsula region in Michigan is just uh, incredibly helpful. I wish I could find some insight as to how or what might have inspired Crutchfield. I looked into it and he was from Kansas with no specific ties to Michigan and certainly not to that region that I could find. Was it a place he vacationed once? Was it someone he knew from that uh, region of Michigan? I'm not certain, but to learn that it's got that actual authenticity to place, it really does add a little bit more to what is a really solid serial. So, so thanks so much for that, Miranda. Now, as to your hint, we did actually go through the entirety of the Boston Blackie series in season seven through 11. And you can find those episodes over at our archive at biglist.greatdetectives.net. And then we have a couple of uh, positive comments over on Spotify. A listener there writes, uh, what a treat. Thanks for your commentary. And also another writes, great story. Merry Christmas, everyone. And then uh, we had a couple of comments uh, regarding the sea legs matter. And the first listener comments uh, regarding uh, episodes uh, one and two. Uh, great breakout character in Oscar. And then another comments, Parley Bear does a good job playing Oscar. It's a good example of how versatile he was as a voice actor. And I would agree, it's probably one of the best of the one-off uh, Johnny Dollar characters that we hear during the Bailey era. And then finally, we have uh, this uh, comment from Michael, uh, who writes, I want to thank you for introducing me to several old-time radio detectives I'd never listened to before. Richard Diamond, Johnny Dollar, just to name two of my favorites. I'm new to the old radio detectives, though I've been listening to some of the old Western shows a while. I really appreciate your work in putting these out. 
I've made myself a note to donate here pretty soon uh, when I get over the hit from the holidays. Well, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate your comment, Michael. And I think we are all, or well, not all, but a lot of us are dealing with that same hit right now. So thanks so much for listening. And I hope we uh, continue to introduce you to other programs that you're going to enjoy. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Doug. Doug has been one of our Patreon supporters since June of 2015, currently supporting the podcast at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Doug. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. If you're listening to the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back next Friday with the conclusion of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... That dunking I got in the lily pond gave me an idea, Jim. According to Jarvis's letter, Chan and Mr. Big had never met before, so I become Colonel Chan and go on to meet the big shot. What? Why not? Well, Chan was on his way to meet the big shot. Only we don't know where. Exactly what was Chan's position when he crashed? Well, according to the Navy report, at a point some 30 miles off San Cristobal Island. He was headed south. Probably for the New Hebrides group. Okay, so I take a dunking in the Coral Sea just off the islands. A ship headed in that direction takes me in. Go on. If the news gets around the grapevine that the notorious Colonel Chan had crashed and was picked up and was now stranded on one of the islands... Sure, I get it. If you can't go to Mr. Big, he'll come to you. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.